Okay, so Trump has COVID. And New York Governor Andrew Cuomo sent him dinosaur barbecue in a care package. So I know of dinosaur barbecue because there is a place of that name that shares a wall with uh, someone I know's business in New York City. But I'm not sure if it's the same place or a chain or what. Kind of caught my attention. The care package had me thinking about how politics is a highly managed form of war. It's managed by a set of rules that the elite hold very dear, including don't wish each other dead. The opposing sides only want each other dead in the sense that they want each other to surrender. Mutually assured destruction, like nuclear warheads that we all have pointing at each other, is uh, not a strategy any serious power seeker is interested in in war because they're not fighting for glory in the, in the life to come, you know. They're fighting for authority and power in this life and resources. So at the end of a brutal conflict, folks tend to fall in line. And as long as the war was fought fairly, as complex an evaluation as that might be, they can form functional treaties together without imprisoning or executing every former enemy. So I was thinking, it's probably not accurate that secretly behind the scenes, Trump's political enemies like Andrew Cuomo want him dead. They probably want him out of their way. Or more accurately, they want him to surrender. They want him to fall in line on, with their agenda. And death is one of the possible ways that he can be moved out of the way. But that's not the same as hoping he dies. Now, the political environment in the United States has grown more more outwardly warlike recently. But I don't know enough about history to say that that's unprecedented, unprecedented in like American politics. I think it's likely more of a cyclical thing. I'm just biased toward assuming everything is kind of a cyclical thing. I think Nixon and Ford and Carter and Reagan and H.W. and Clinton and W. and Obama all had more of an interest in a sort of nobility signaling a sort of graciousness is the type of thing you see among a lot of elites where they embody good behavior, particularly when you're with them in person, you can feel this and they charm you and they charm their enemies. And, and nevertheless, they're still engaged in political warfare. In fact, that this charming nobility signaling thing is like pure warfare in a sense. It's diplomacy. And those are kind of the same thing on a same continuum. So Trump has been, you know, notably less interested in embodying this sort of nobility signaling. I mean, he rose to power by rejecting the way that politics works, including that part. And I think anyone frustrated by the first debate between Trump and Biden um, should recall that uh, the Republican primary debates in 2016 uh, were kind of a disaster. It seemed like everybody turned into a bit of a pig while wrestling with Trump in the mud. And there was a feeling then almost of the Republican Party needs to escape this guy. Of course, they didn't. They lost to him, and then they fell in line behind him. But 
reframe, uh, he or uh, Trump has had uh, an ability to reframe and reset the rules of decorum, and the Republican Party was the first victim of that. The Democratic Party is a victim to a significantly lesser extent, and you could point to like Bernie Sanders as a more direct cause of any decorum reframing for the left, but for the exact same reasons as Trump. They both rose to power on this kind of anti-elitism. Still, the Democratic Party, having soundly beaten uh, that idea and beaten Sanders, is hearkening back still for now to a lot of the elitist decency norms of an Obama or Clinton or Carter. All of those folks held up uh, as exemplary this idea that they could disagree with their political foes and still respect them and get along in private. This getting along in private thing, I think it's a bit frightening to the populist base that Trump has found and nurtured and grown. They don't want their man getting along with the enemy in private. Isn't getting along in private sort of the same thing as showing up on a jet manifest to Jeffrey Epstein's island? Isn't this getting along in private proof of the duplicity in politics? Isn't it suggestive that the world is run by these powerful people toward their own ends? That getting along in private is reflective of the real scenario. And debating in public is a performance intended to fool us, the have-nots on both sides of the aisle, into believing that we have a man in the ring. Isn't getting along in private proof that the whole public disagreement thing is just staged for our distraction. So I was thinking that this is kind of what populist pressure is about in a sense. Populism, the way I think of it, is basically this idea that the elite don't have a better handle on governance than the people themselves. And the rules of the elite are not good rules. The, the people themselves should all be basically on the same team together with the people rules against the elite and their elitist rules. And one populist tendency is to assume that complex things are simple enough for the average person to understand and that any claim otherwise is a trick designed to confuse and denigrate the common man. The idea that expertise is beneficial, let alone required for proper analysis of a complex issue is a threat to the people's ability to govern themselves. So I think it can be sometimes rejected without even consideration by populists. I mean, it's not really a fair fight if the elite get to say, you can't govern yourself, but you're too stupid to understand why. Or even like with a little more tact, you can't govern yourself, but this, the reasons why are really too complex for any one uneducated, hardworking, middle, lower middle class American to understand. But as tasteless a statement as it might be, it could also be true. It could be false. I'm just saying that the fact that the populace don't like the way it sounds doesn't have any bearing on whether or not it might be true. It might be true that a central bank with levers on interest rates has lowered chaos in the economy. And it might be true that this is a complex practice 
that requires way above average knowledge and thought and foresight. It might be true. All of that could be true even if there's corruption and inside dealing going on. It might be true that becoming a superpower like the world has never seen before had something to do with elite management of the nation. Is that a crazy idea? It seems to me, on the face of it, to be a reasonable hypothesis, to believe that the trajectory of the nation over the last 75 years has had something to do with our election of people who are smarter than us, more educated than us, better thinkers than us, more ambitious than us, and in many, many other ways, just not exactly like us. And they get along with their enemies behind closed doors. They send messages back and forth behind the scenes like Kennedy did to signal his willingness to help his Russian counterparts save face in order to shut down the Cuban Missile Crisis. They debate in public, but respect disagreement and hold each other in high regard as, well, elite peers. They don't answer to the same laws that we do which obviously drives populists insane. It's like instead they have a set of laws for elites, the greatest of which is the one that Trump seems to always be breaking. Respect and protect one another as elites, regardless of disagreement. I would say it wouldn't be odd to credit this type of elitism, flaws and benefits all, with a lot of what most people consider to be a good national trajectory over the last 75 years post the post-World War II era. I'll note that it could be uh, argued that since so many of us are miserable and our children have a greater suicidal ideology than ever before and our families are falling apart and our bodies are sicker than ever and our infrastructure is collapsing and the world is, you know, in tr some trouble with uh, environmental issues that we haven't accomplished much in the last 75 years to be proud of. But that's Actually, I think a totally different question, because I think elites, or more accurately, the last 75 years, I think has given us what we said we wanted. More security in the world, no third world war after the bomb was created, more televisions, more computers, computers in our pockets, the ability to track where our children are with our phones, a world with lower crime rates, a lot of stuff to eat. So what I'm saying is, I don't think it's fair for populists to say that the elite-run political system has not been serving the will of the people. Whether the will of the people was anything worth serving is a different question. Donald Trump got sick because of his rejection of elitism. He holds what he cannot understand in contempt. There are consequences for this. It's true that the Republican campaign apparatus is more at risk right now than the Democratic one, specifically because their commander required rejection of elite scientific opinions as proof of loyalty to the cause. Wearing a mask and social distancing in the White House signaled a lack of loyalty. I'm not saying from a strategic perspective it would have been better for Trump to follow elite advice. He is the man he is, and given that, the most strategically sound way for him to govern and run for re-election is to never leave his core anti-elite instincts for a second. What I'm saying is that I think the coronavirus provides a lens in which anti-elite attitudes clash with the consequences of those attitudes in a way that is quite visible. The scientists aren't always right. But Trump is wrong when he says 
this virus is going to disappear like a miracle, or that we are rounding the corner, or that a vaccine will be here in weeks. These are populist pipe dreams, and they are false statements. And that is incredibly obvious to anyone who isn't having their ears stuffed with anti-elitist, scientifically unsound ideas.